This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook is all about building towards a greater tomorrow. So I asked product designer Jessica Durkin where she sees Facebook going into the future. Facebook just released a new and updated mission about creating communities and bringing people closer together. And I think that that's certainly the path that Facebook is going down. Um, I think we live in a time now where the things that you get out of community, the bonds that you can find when you find people who have things in common with you that you maybe didn't think had anything in common with you. So yeah, I just think Facebook is, is definitely headed in the direction of bringing people closer together, creating community, and ultimately make, making society a better place. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, Bandcamp is looking for an art director for their editorial features. Buffer has two remote positions available for a marketing engineer and an engineering manager. And here at Revision Path, we're looking for a design writer to join our team. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you to check out 28 Days of the Web. As you know, we've been doing 28 Days of the Web since 2014. We featured over 100 designers and developers from all around the world for each day during Black History Month. This year, we've got a four-part video interview series from some of this year's honorees thanks to our sponsor, Glitch. Check out the show notes for a link to the third video in the series with freelance concept artist Micah Sozo. Now let's talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, MailChimp, and SiteGround. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. So if your goal this year is learning how to code, then you're in the right place. Glitch provides you with a platform to easily start making anything from a simple website to a Slack bot to a web app using Node.js. Get started on creating something awesome today at Glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. That's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. It's a new year, which means it's a great time to work on your email marketing efforts. Let MailChimp's pre-built marketing automation help you out. Automations work like a second brain for your business, and they can do the heavy lifting for your email marketing efforts so you can focus on what's really important, your business. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account. MailChimp. Send better email. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects. Do you need cloud hosting or a dedicated server? 
SiteGround's got you covered. Are you hosting WordPress, Drupal, Magenta, or Joomla? They can handle that too. And with award-winning customer support and amazing uptime, you don't have to worry about hosting issues at all. Get started today by visiting SiteGround.com forward slash revision path and get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. Now for this week's interview. Well, actually, there is no interview this week, sort of. It's our fifth anniversary episode, so I'm going to answer some of your questions that you listeners have sent in. We're going to get some updates from a few past guests that we've had on the show, and I'm going to give you a taste of what it's like behind the scenes with Provision Path and give you a few sneak peeks on what's coming up in the future. Let's start the show. Andrea Pippins. I have officially moved to Sweden um, with my partner, and he and I got married most recently. Actually, um, I had a baby. I was promoting my um, my second book, Becoming Me, and my goodness, since then I've I've done two other books. Um, had some really great like illustration projects. And just kind of, you know, growing this side of my business. So, like, leaning away from graphic design and focusing more on illustration. Oh my goodness, it's super important because there are so few platforms that celebrate, you know, people of color who are doing phenomenal work across the different disciplines within the creative industries. Um, there's just so few places where you can, you know, hear our stories, hear what we're passionate about and um, what we're doing in in these different areas. And I think Revision Path really provides that that space where you can come to and be inspired and learn about these really unique stories. Uh, I'm Husani Oakley. I, I joined a startup called Goldbean. It's been a lot of fun. We, we've experienced, I think, every possible angle that you can in a startup, right? From, from fundraising to hiring to sorting out what teams look like to building the brand to building the product. We, 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 we've done it all. It's been, it's been kind of amazing. I was honored to visit the White House a couple of times during the Obama administration. The, for the first time uh, was for the the White House LGBTQ Tech and Innovation Summit. The second time, I was invited to attend a uh, the Future of Jobs in America Summit. Um, and then I suppose the most recent news is um, as of February of 2018, I joined uh, Deutsch as Senior Vice President and uh, Director of Technology. I'm super excited about it. There are some amazing, amazing thinkers at Deutsch, some amazing clients, and, and I'm really looking forward to kind of getting into the New York office and really figuring out ways to continue to use technology to tell clients' brand stories. So visibility in general is, is always super important. And that's kind of the core, I think, of, of why Revision Path is, is amazing and, and needs to last forever. Uh, and and uh, from, from two angles. One, it's critical for people who are just getting into this field or want to get into this field who are black to see us in the world doing things for real. It's, it's incredibly meaningful to be 
uh, a 16-year-old high school kid or somebody just graduating graduating college, or frankly, you know, a, a, a middle-aged mom who's ready to hop back into the workforce and, and see people who look like us out in the world doing things. And being able to hear their points of view and, and what their experiences have been like being a black designer in this field. It's an incredibly important resource from that perspective. But I think just as importantly, it's important to be able to point to not just something like Revision Path, but Revision Path specifically, when the constant arguments pop up about why teams, specifically design teams across this country, are still not representative of the people who live in this country. Uh, you know, you hear, well, it's, it's a pipeline issue. We can't find people to hire because the, the, the level of, of, of education isn't there yet. So it's a pipeline issue. Or the, uh, earlier this year or late last year, the controversy over CES, uh, the Consumer Electronics Show, not having um, any women keynotes, and certainly not any, not any uh, people of color keynotes, black people keynotes. Um, when we have a resource like Revision Path, when we hear, frankly, the bullshit reasoning behind teams still not being diverse, we can point to Revision Path and say, well, look, not only is there a massive resource of amazing people that you can very easily approach, it's proof that there are more of us in this country who are doing amazing work and we are black. Hire us. Because the only reason that your team isn't diverse is that you've not made it not diverse. Hi, my name is Diane Holton. Revision Path inspires, educates, and amplifies us. It highlights you know, Black creatives. It highlights Black creatives that even Black creatives weren't familiar with. And so I love it that Black creatives are being exposed to other Black creatives and in various disciplines. Um, it's helping to build community and some awareness. Um, and it also shows that we are occupying spaces that um, we're not used to seeing us in or even familiar with, you know. And again, that speaks to different dis disciplines. Um, and then lastly, it inspires um, future generations of creatives um, because there are going to be people that are going to be coming in after after me and you that are going to be looking for looking for role models, um, people that they can, um, you know, grow up to to be like um, or to supersede. So I think it's a it's a great launch pad for um, for future generations. Tori Harbour. In 2014, we launched a couple of really cool uh, projects with USA Today, uh, where I was the design manager uh, for, the, for editorial. So I did all the editorial interactive applications for USA Today. Um, and some of those projects ended up catching the notice in Silicon Valley. We talked a little bit about Silicon Valley during our interview and about tech companies out there. Unbeknownst to me, a few months after we talked, I was contacted by Facebook. I actually got an email from uh, Facebook's VP of Design, and that led to me coming out and interviewing and I landed a job as a designer there uh, working on the product that would become Facebook Live. Um, and then a few months after that, about three months after that actually, I uh, went from being a designer on that product to being the design manager of that team. And for the next two and a half years, almost three years, I've managed uh, the live video team, the Facebook creators team, public content, several other design teams at Facebook, and I've had a great career there. Revision Path is critically important. Uh, when I first got to Facebook, one of the first things I did was to uh, go to our leadership, our vice presidents and directors, and tell them that there was an entire network of African-American designers, uh, black designers in the world, not just in the United States, 
that I don't think we have tapped into for talent. And when I got to Facebook, I was impressed with how aggressive um, the leadership and everyone there wanted to be with recruiting people of color and having a more diverse design community. And so I was able to literally take revision path into meetings, put it up on the monitor and say, look at all these faces. Why aren't these people in our network? Like the ability to be able to just land at a company and say that you know, in the first couple of weeks, it's only possible when someone has taken their time to aggregate this, you know, pool of black talent. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, in honor of Black Panther, it's kind of like striking vibranium, you know, and taking it in to, to people and say, look at this amazing resource. And um, and, and I'll never forget uh, in that first meeting when I showed Revision Path, Julie Zhu, our VP, she was like, we should just do this. Like we should like we should just connect to this network. Like let what do we need to do? And it was not it was not even a real it was not even a debate. It was just obvious. And so revision path is important because I didn't have to sit around for a year, nine months, scraping together my Rolodex with you know and vetting uh, a bunch of people. I was literally able to go to revision path and say here's some of the best people uh, around the world who do this. So that's why revision path is so important because it allows me and anyone else who's already in these places of power and influence to then tap a resource already vetted by people like yourself who over the years have taken the time to find these talented folks and really amplify the work that you've done and get these people in, in front of people who are who are hiring and and, uh, and trying to elevate uh, Black design. So I put the call out on social media for you all to ask me any questions that you wanted me to answer during this anniversary episode. And you all did not disappoint on that. <laughs> I got a lot of questions here. Usually when people send questions to the show, I will just respond back to them in an email. Uh, but for this one, I certainly wanted to go ahead and answer these on air because some of these questions are ones that people ask a lot. And I don't know if I've ever really given like a public, uh, like a public explanation behind the question, like a response. So I will go through these questions. Uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and start right here. This question is from Darius. So Darius asks, uh, last year you interviewed two people twice for the podcast, Sarah Honey Young and Kat Small. Are there any other guests that you plan on interviewing again? So that's a good question. Um, usually my goal is not to interview the same person twice. Um, I try to make it so every week there's someone new. So you can learn about someone new because I feel like just going back and talking to the same people over and over and over again is not that interesting to me. At least it's not that interesting. I want to know about new people. And of course, as the show has gone and has this industry has changed, you know, new people are popping up every day. So I try to make it so every episode is different. Every episode, I've got a different guest. Uh, these two were exceptions. Um, so for Honey, for example, she was our 100th episode, and I only felt that it was fitting to have her back for the 200th episode, one, because she asked me, <laughs> she asked me if she could do it, and I was like, uh, yeah, sure, you know, we were leading up to that 200th, um, that 200th episode, and I was like, yeah, let's do it, and we managed to get it done. Uh, in Kat's case, I wanted to redo that one because the first interview that we did, which if you go all the way back... It is, um, I want to say episode 17. The audio quality is horrendous. Um, it is probably one of the worst audio quality episodes. We just didn't have, I think, a good connection when we were recording. So her audio is choppy. My audio is choppy. We went ahead and released it anyway because I believe in even releasing the bad shows. If, if it doesn't sound good, I'll put it out anyway. I mean, I just really wanted to redo it. Also, since then, since we did that interview, Kat has like 
blown up. She's been speaking internationally, doing a ton of stuff. And I wanted to kind of get her perspective from then to now as to, you know, kind of what she's working on and things like that. So uh, for those instances, that's why I wanted to interview those people again. Now, do I plan on interviewing any other people for a second time? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, we'll see what the future holds, but uh, generally it's not my plan to have repeat guests. I like to kind of keep uh, a new person coming on every, you know, every so often. So uh, that hopefully that will answer your question, Darius. Uh, next question here is from Nena. Uh, Nena asks, how long does it take to prepare an interview? So usually it doesn't take me very long to prepare an interview because I don't go into interviews with very many questions. Uh, what I tell most people when they're coming on the show is the first question I'll ask is tell us who you are and what you do. The last question is where can our audience find you online? And then everything that's in the middle, I'm kind of just pulling from different bullet points. So uh, guests submit their bio when they come on the show. I'll often do a little bit of research. Like I'll look at their LinkedIn profile so I can see where they've worked, where they went to school. If they have a website, I may ask about a project or two, but I try to come into every interview without a lot of questions. And what I do is as the conversation unfolds, I'm taking notes. And so they may mention something that I want to go back and ask about. So I try to make it unfold organically like a conversation as opposed to coming into it with like a list of written questions that I'm going to ask. Now, there are certain themes that I try to hit throughout every interview. Like I try to talk about inspiration. I try to give a little bit of aspiration, aspirational things to it by asking them where they want to be in the next few years. So those things are pretty constant throughout most episodes. Uh, but generally, I try not to go into it with a whole bunch of questions unless now what I do is I will either ask my patrons or ask other people if they have questions for people that are going to be on the show. And now those questions I will bring to the interview. Uh, but usually that's kind of few and far in between. So generally, how long does it take me to prepare an interview? Um, I will say it can take me anywhere from maybe 30 minutes to an hour. Honestly, like I'm, well, I'm not doing a lot of research. First of all, you know, whatever they give me, I kind of just go off of that. I keep a little uh, paper notebook next to my desk for taking notes while I'm in the middle of the interview. And uh, usually from there, I'm like taking notes and making timestamps and things for the edits and stuff like that. So interview prep is actually fairly minimal. I like to go into every interview curious about the person because I want my my questions and things. I want them to be as curious to me as they are to the listener who it may be their first time ever hearing about this person. So I try to go into it with a little bit of mystery and wonder and just kind of let things unfold uh, as they happen. So hopefully that answers your question, Nena. Uh, got one more question here and then we'll go to something else. Uh, next question here is from Allie. Allie asks, when is Revision Path going to have another live show? I heard about the first one in Atlanta, but could not make it. So let's talk about the live show. <laughs> we had a live show back in November 2017. We did that in conjunction with Facebook. Um, we had four great panelists, uh, two of which have been on the show, Tori Hargrow and Carla Cole. We also had Ian Spalter from Instagram, and we had uh, Jill Nussbaum. Now, all of these people work for Facebook. And we had, I think, a pretty... I think we had a pretty full house. We had about 75 
people or so, I think. I'm, I'm guessing just based off of what I remember seeing. But Facebook really kind of took the reins on that whole event, including doing the guest list. So they had put together the guest list. They put down for the venue and the food and the favors and everything. And I just kind of showed up and asked questions and made everyone look good. So uh, when are we doing another live show? I don't know. I really do not know. Um, I want to say that that's really up to the audience. If you want us to do a live show, let us know. Reach out to us. Mail at revisionpath.com. Uh, let me know if you want me to come to your city and do a live show or maybe we can make something happen. Now, I have to warn you, I don't have a huge team or hundreds of thousands of dollars to put on any big elaborate types, <laughs> the elaborate types of, uh, of productions. But if you want to have a live show and there are a bunch of people that want to make something happen, uh, please reach out to me and see, and we'll see if we can make it happen. Uh, but for now, there are no other live shows that are on the horizon. But of course, if that changes, you all will be the first to know. Now, this last question here is from Anthony. Anthony says, you mentioned Patreon in every episode, uh, but how much money does Revision Path make from Patreon? Damn, y'all want to know a lot about how I'm making money. Uh, <laughs> the amount on Patreon is hidden. Why did you stop giving Patreon updates on the podcast? Okay, I'll, I'll answer that. Um, so I did used to give regular updates on the show about kind of where we were at with what our money was. Um, that was kind of a double-edged sword in a way. Uh, and if you're a black creator or if you're a creative color and you're listening to this, you'll probably empathize where I'm coming from here. I think it's one thing to mention like, hey, we need support and we need the money. And you're mentioning kind of what you're bringing in. But the flip side of that are people who think that that money that you're making is enough. And therefore, they don't feel like they need to contribute to help out, if that makes any sense. So we kind of were always hovering right around 40 to 45 patrons, which based on our pledge levels, which we ended up having to change several times, hovering right around maybe 230 to $260 a month. And then Patreon takes their cut. So it's a little bit less than that. So the amount was never really changing all that drastically. Um, actually, if you go to Graftreon, G-R-A-P-H-T-R-E-O-N, if you go there and do a search for revision path, you can see the you can see the graphs that show our patron chart, our patron uh, charts and our money and all that stuff. All that stuff is public. So I'm not really hiding it by not showing it on the podcast anymore. I'm just not mentioning it. Uh, but we decided not to keep doing the updates because it kind of didn't make sense to keep doing it. Some folks would write us and say, oh, you know, we need people need to support you. And then other folks would say, well, if you have Facebook and other places sponsoring you, why are you asking for more money? And it's like, OK, because there's more stuff that we want to do. <laughs> like y'all are saying we want events and we want conferences and all that stuff all this stuff doesn't just come out of thin air so we need to have the funds in order to make those things happen uh but there were a, we would get a lot of, of pushback from people that thought that us mentioning the money that we made on the show uh was kind of gauche and so i just kind of decided not to do it anymore i mean like i said it's public on graphreon we don't mention it or we don't show it on patreon because we just don't uh it has in the past been a deterrent for people wanting to donate. And so we just kind of keep the amount hidden uh, because of that. But in terms of how much money revision path makes from Patreon, it's about 230 to 250 or $60 a month. It really varies based on if people's pledge levels change. If we get a new pledge, if a pledge goes away, 
uh, it really kind of just varies um, on how much we make. So hopefully that will uh, hopefully that answers your question. Uh, my name is Lacey Jordan. I want to make sure that I'm doing things that align with my values and honestly supporting people of color, drawing people of color, like whatever, whatever that is. So I think one big project that I did, and it wasn't even a collaboration, it was just something I wanted to do for myself was an illustration a day project. And that just was really me doing one illustration of whatever. And I got to day 21 and at day 21, just freelance requests for illustrations had gotten so crazy that I was like, okay, I can't, like, I actually can't finish this challenge. I wanted to go to 30, but I was like, it's, it's no way. So for whatever reason, me sparking myself to do that challenge set off, I guess, like a domino effect of different projects. It, Maurice has really been so much stuff, like different websites um, for different creators in the industry, different activists, political people, um, diving more into photography and expanding that. Literally, it's it's been a lot. Nikita Pope. Um, one of the things that we spoke about in our previous interview was my book. Um, so the book is done, but it's not published yet. Um, I'm actually shopping it around to some publishers, so we'll see how that goes. So I'm looking at a spring release. Um, for that, I'm still teaching, loving every minute of that, and um, I'm looking at actually starting um, doing some online courses. Still on the board at AIGA Atlanta. Um, I'm still on the National Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. I'm the education chair, so I work with the student board. We have about seven design programs here in Atlanta, so we have a good group of students from multitude of different programs and schools. It's really great. And we are just in the middle of launching the Design Continuum Fund um, scholarship uh, here in Atlanta. Representation matters um, and diversity matters. Um, and diversity meaning, you know, everything. I know that there are traditional definitions of what diversity is. Um, and those matter as well. But on top of that, what also matters is diversity of thought and knowing that there are so many um, black and brown people who are working in this industry in so many different ways and in so many different facets is really fantastic. And I think that sometimes we're out there and we're working and we're doing our things and, you know, and other people don't know who we are. Um, I, there's a lot of people I've been introduced to myself um, just through the podcast. Um, and I try to share them with as many people as possible, including my students, because sometimes, you know, the, the, which it's just not out there. So it's happening, but if no one is shining a light on it, then it doesn't get the opportunity to inspire someone else. So to me, being able to shine that light on people who are, you know, successful in their area of creativity and to hear the diversity of backgrounds and previous career paths and philosophies and processes, all that stuff is really important. My name is Leon Scott. My career was moving more towards like content management. Also, I was doing comedy at the time too, like stand-up comedy and I was hosting events. And it's at a point now that comedy is actually paying my bills. I just started writing for a show. The show is called Get Up DC. If you want to check it out in another area, you can go to WUSA 9's website, like WUSA9.com. 
I think it's important because I mean I think people you want to see people that look like you that are doing the things you want to do. I mean, it's, for me, I don't I don't want to say like a role model type thing, or, but it is kind of like cool to see somebody that's like you doing the type of things you want to do and kind of like have somebody to model your you know career path after or to even like get inspiration from. Raquel Rodriguez. I'm working now as a junior developer for a company I'm based in Chicago for a startup here that works in uh, education tech. Douglas Davis. I was uh, tapped to be part of the AIGA's Brain Trust um, to preserve American design. I have been involved in a lot of promotion for my book, Creative Strategy in the Business of Design. I launched a visual essay called Slay. I've also been involved just with my business for the book uh, and a lot of my talks that I've done nationally, internationally. Most recently, I was at Design Thinkers in Toronto, presented there. Um, Format Magazine listed Creative Strategy in the Business of Design as one of the 40 best new graphic design books. Um, The future podcast, uh, Chris Doe, um, has also been featuring the book and uh, a little bit of writing but definitely a lot of press from the writing. I wrote a feature in uh, printmag.com called Learning the Wrong Lessons, Design Education in the Age of Disruption. Um, So yeah, I've been keeping busy. My whole purpose is to increase the variety of voices that are in front of and behind the concept. And I think Revision Path is doing that by making sure that People who may not even have creativity uh, or any of the uh, professions that utilize creativity uh, and design on the radar. So Revision Path is helping to make sure that being a black designer is not something that is myth uh, or something that is, you know, a fairy tale. And by bringing what what's going on in the lives of the so many of us who are who happen to be people of color who are practicing in this field um it's really important to to show what's going on in our lives and that we're real people and that we put our pants on one leg at a time like everyone else but that we do exist and that it is a path to possible like it's, it's possible to attain that as a person of color or as a woman or as someone who you know comes from a non-traditional background um so revision path is doing some great work in making sure that that is 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 known and publicized um, but that's definitely something I believe in as well all right so Freddie has a question here Freddie wants to know which is my favorite interview that's a tough question uh, people ask me that question all the time whenever I tell them about the show they're like oh you've done 200 something episodes what's your favorite interview that's that's a tough question to ask um, I like every interview that I've done and I'm, I'm not bullshitting when I say that I really like every interview that I've done uh, I like them in different ways and for different reasons uh, so there's not really one that is like a super favorite there's ones that are, are really memorable to me uh, for different reasons like uh, the interview that I did with Kim Goldburn I was 
I think her and I like hit it off immediately. Kim and I actually have the same birthday. Uh, it's just, it's 10 years apart, but I really like understood her and her drive to like always keep creating and keep inventing and keep like making things. I, I understood that like biblically, I understood that. Um, and so I really enjoyed the interview that I had with her. Um, I really liked the interview that I had with Lacey, Lacey Jordan. Her and I are both from Alabama, so we kind of both hit it off just kind of on that note. Lacey is like super cool, super down to earth. Actually did her interview three times. <laughs> um, uh, and the third interview is the one that you're hearing uh, that's up on the site right now. But I really enjoyed those interviews. I like the interviews that I do with educators and with researchers to like get kind of into the data and, and stuff like that about design and really learn like what students are doing because the students are the next generation. And so hopefully this show and other educators and things like that are setting them up for success. So I always like talking to educators to kind of know, well, what are they teaching about black designers? What have they learned about black designers? Or, you know, what are their black design students? What are they saying to them? Like, I want to know all that sort of stuff. So like when I talk to uh, Tamika D. Williams, who teaches at Alabama A&M University, uh, when I talk to Ann Barry, who is at Cleveland State, uh, when I talk to Larry King at Kent State, when I talk to Silas Monroe, who's I think he's at Otis College of Art right now. Like when I talk to these uh, people, that's what the that's the kind of stuff I want to know because those are things that we don't necessarily always hear about. Um, I also really like, like I said, talking to researchers, so like Omari Souza, Reggie Murphy, Melissa Smith, kind of getting into like the the data and the nuts and bolts about design. I like those interviews. I really like our international interviews uh, because getting to know what design is like in another country, in another culture, I think is just so important. And I think it's a perspective that certainly designers in the U.S. need to know about. I mean, I know that a lot of the innovations that come in the design industry right now are kind of from the U.S. because we kind of have the dominant design culture in a way. Uh, so it's good to hear, well, what is it like in the U.K.? What is it like in Kenya? What is it like in Jamaica? to be a designer because even though they are creating things too the culture is just different the culture around design is so different the culture for design workers is different and so having those perspectives i think is super important so when i talk to like juvane brown or Junan alkins or like if i'm talking to uh brian hollingsworth or alex fafaga or john daniel rest in peace when i talk to these people to kind of get their sense of what's the design scene like in your country um, I think that's something that is really important to share. So I don't really have a favorite interview. I like a lot of interviews for a lot of different reasons. Um, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Next question here is from Mario. Mario wants to know which episode is the most popular. So hands down, the most popular episode on the show is actually a recent one. Uh, happened in January of this year. And it is my interview with uh, Regine Gilbert. When I look at the stats, her episode has received twice as many downloads as any other episode, including the next most popular episode, which is from Andrea Pippins. Um, and it's interesting with Regine's episode because I know that, <laughs> well, first of all, she was in our Slack community before, super helpful, just always a really positive presence. Her and I have met a few times. Uh, we met at Black and Design. We met the last time I was in New York back in December. And like, I was like, yeah, you would be perfect to come on the show. And she was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I remember her being hesitant about coming on the show. And I was like, no, you really should. I think you have 
a great story and you have, you know, kind of great insights to share and things like that. I remember her being just really hesitant about doing it. And I'm glad that she did it because a lot of people really resonated with what she had to say and with her story. And I mean, it honestly shows in the download numbers. So hers is definitely the most popular. Uh, If I go down the top 10 list here, uh, Regine's number one, Andrea Pippins is number two. I mentioned both of those. Maya Patterson's number three, Amelie Lamont, number four, Raquel Rodriguez, number five, Jacqueline Laurier, number six, Melissa Smith, number seven, uh, Jessica Bellamy is number eight, and then number nine is me? Huh. So that's interesting. Um, and then 10th, there's like a bunch of other ones that are kind of tied. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really dope for a design podcast like this that all of the most popular episodes, like the top five at least, um, really the top nine, are all women. I think that's really amazing. I think it, it shows that black women's voices are part of the conversation here at Revision Path and should be part of the conversation in the design community as a whole. Um, so I think that that's really wonderful that black women are kind of leading the pack here when it comes to voices that people want to hear about from Revision Path. You know, I really try to hit uh, parody when it comes to guests. Like I want it to be as close to 50-50 as I can. I think right now we're maybe at about like 55% men, 45% women. So I always am looking for uh, more female voices to have on the show to talk about what it's not what it's like just for them in the industry but just for them to talk so people can hear what they have to say because clearly based on my download numbers people want to hear from y'all so uh yeah that's that's kind of how the most popular episodes kind of shake out morgan asks which country is revision path most popular in it's most popular in this country in the u.s hands down Now, we do have, based on the last time I looked at the stats, which was a few days ago, we have a sizable amount of downloads and things from Japan, which I think is pretty cool, uh, from Israel, from Germany, and from Nigeria. We have a big, um, oh, and South Africa is like fifth on that, but we have a pretty big uh, number of downloads from these countries. And this is aggregated across not just the data that we have from our web host, but we get this data if we're looking also at SoundCloud, if we're looking at uh, Stitcher, we can kind of get a sense of where people are listening to it from. Also, we look at the user agents uh, from our logs, so we can kind of tell where people are at least visiting from. If they're not necessarily uh, downloading directly from iTunes, they can always just go and listen to it on the website or what have you. So yeah, those are the countries that are really doing it big. U.S., of course, because we're based here you know, in Atlanta. But I was surprised about Japan and Israel. I really was. Let me know that I have a sizable audience in Japan and Israel. Y'all, let me, you know, fly me out. I'll go out there. I'll do a live show or something. Let me, you know, hit me up. Email revisionpath at gmail.com or mail at revisionpath.com. I'll do it. My passport is ready. Let's go. All right, we got our last set of questions here. Some of these are actually from uh, from our patrons. Some of them wanted to share their favorite interviews, but I've also got some more questions. So last set of questions here. This first one comes from Steven. Steven says, I listened to your episode, Maurice, episode 130, but you didn't really talk much about your own background. What made you become a designer and where did you go to design school? So yeah, the 130 episode, that was an episode that... Um, <laughs> was sort of an anniversary episode because I remember it coming in March and then 
Brandy Brown, who is a comedian, and a, I think she also does web development. I think uh, she was a member of our old Slack community, and she interviewed me because she brought up the idea of doing that. Um, but I didn't really talk about my background during that. So my background is actually not in design, or rather, I should say, I did not go to a design school. Um, actually, my background is largely in coding. Uh, I started when I was a kid learning basic on these little uh, VTEC computers called Laser 50 and Pre-Computer 1000. I started learning the basics of basic. Uh, from there, I was also learning at school on Apple IIe, learning how to program in basic, learning how to create graphics in basic. Uh, this is pre-Photoshop, which will give you some idea how old I am. Uh, <laughs> um, I was doing a lot of that sort of stuff, and then once I got into high school, that was when the internet was kind of just starting to kick off. You kind of had your first beginning web pages. I mean, this is like 95, 96. Uh, well, I started I started high school in 95, but um, this is when the web was just kind of starting to be a thing. And so there I was teaching myself HTML. I was reverse engineering uh, web pages to learn how to do code. I was checking out books from the library. I was buying books from a, you know, a bookstore if we happened to go to one. I would get a book on HTML. I remember specifically I had this big orange book. Uh, for those of you who are over 30, probably you remember this. There used to be these big 1,000 page orange books on a specific language. There was like one for HTML. There was one for CSS. There was probably one for JavaScript. That might've been the only ones. It might've been one for Perl or something like that. But I had that book and I mean, I wore that thing out in terms of learning HTML. And I would do some stuff at school. After school, I would go to my mom's job. She worked at a college. I would go to the computer lab there and spend hours in there on the web, learning how to program, things like that. Made my first website on GeoCities, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then even at school, I was learning a little bit of design stuff. Um, I helped redesign the school paper using, oh God, what was that? I think it was PageMaker. Adobe PageMaker. I remember Adobe PageMaker, Adobe Go Live. Um, home site had this thing called Top Style, where you could learn how to do CSS. So I was doing a little bit of everything, um, <laughs> and then extended that when I went to school. I went to school at Morehouse College. Started out in computer engineering um, as a dual degree thing. Switched to computer science, then switched to math, and just kind of went from there. So my degree is actually in math. It's not in design. I didn't didn't go to a design school, have never had any formal design training. Uh, it's all been kind of like coding and stuff. But I was honing my design chops like all through um, high school, all through college, started doing freelancing in college and then extended it out a little bit after that. Got my first job as a working designer uh, three years after I graduated. Uh, 2003, no, two years, two years after I graduated from college. Got my first working design job, uh, and then just kind of took it from there. Went from there to AT&T, was a junior designer, then a senior designer, then I broke out and started my own studio. Did that for nine years. And those nine years, that was my kind of design school, to be completely honest with you. Because I knew how to design, like I knew how to get into Photoshop and Illustrator and create stuff. I knew how to be a set of hands that could do a task. What starting my own studio taught me was like how to be of service with my design, if that makes any sense. So 
how to follow briefs, how to work with clients, how to do changes, how to, you know, how to sell your concepts and meetings, how to sell your concepts to stakeholders, to stakeholders of different types too. So that was really my design school was starting my own business and like having wins and having losses too. Um, that's really kind of what my background is, is doing all that. And then of course I, you know, started this little design podcast and you know, that kind of took off, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of, uh, kind of my background. So what made me become a designer is the first part to your question. Um, I've always just had an interest in computers. Um, and I think that as I grew, I realized that learning about color and fonts and things of that nature really excited me. But this was at a time where this was not a career option. Uh, it was something that was still very new, very, you know, kind of nascent that was growing and developing by leaps and bounds. And quite frankly, with where I was at in my education, there were no programs that taught this stuff. There weren't even really any jobs. Like I think back then you were either a web designer or a graphic designer or a webmaster. Like that was it <laughs> that had to do with the web. Um, there certainly weren't all the different titles and different things like that that we have right now. And so I knew that I always wanted to do this, but because I didn't go and do a formal design program, I didn't really know how to break into design. You know, yes, I had a math degree, but I didn't want to go back to school after I finished undergrad. I certainly didn't feel like teaching math. And so I just kind of used my skills and turned that, turned that hobby into my profession, into my career. And it's just kind of went from there. So I've always wanted to be a designer because I've always had an interest in that. I've always drawn and written and things like that, but I never really knew what it was or what to call it until really I got to about high school or so and learned the vocabulary behind it. But I also was like, yeah, I don't know if this is something that I can really do. Oh, and before I forget, uh, some of the patrons didn't want to mention what their favorite interviews were. Uh, Adrian Cook. Adrian has been a friend to the show. He's been a patron and a supporter. He really liked the interviews that I did with C. Spike Trotman and with Lisa Welchman. Uh, I really liked that, those two interviews too. With with Spike, that was interesting because I've been a fan of her work for so long, and I didn't know once I got her on the show how much that we had in common in terms of like we were in the AUC at the same time and all this sort of stuff. It was really great talking to her. She was she's really fun. And then Lisa, and I'll be honest with Lisa's interview. I wasn't really sure how that was going to go because Lisa is not quote unquote a designer like per se. Um, what Lisa does is in the field of digital governance. And I thought when I reached out to her, I was like, this is really important at this time in history where we're seeing large sections of the web being honestly compromised in many different ways from companies. Things are being hacked. Things are being removed from you know, the White House website and all this sort of stuff, you know. And so digital governance or being able to kind of say who owns the data that you have on the web is super important. And so I wanted to have Lisa to really come on and, and talk about that because I feel like that's an important thing for designers because with us, a lot of the things that we create are digital and therefore extremely ephemeral. Website redesigns, logo redesigns, etc., all that stuff just gets wiped away with whatever the next version is. And so when we talk about how do we own the data that we're creating and things like that, I just kind of wanted to, to have her on to plant a seed in people's heads about how they should kind of really be more aware 
of the work that they're putting out there. So I really enjoyed those two interviews. Uh, Rachel, who is a patron, uh, mentioned her favorite interviews actually were the ones that we did during October of 2016. It was like our Facebook interviews. She especially loved the ones with the women, with Carla Cole and Jacqueline Laurier. She also mentions like in the Maya Patterson interview, which surprisingly enough, Maya now works at Facebook. Uh, when we had her on the show, she was working at Trunk Club. And then, she, <laughs> now I don't know exactly how this happened, but I do know that someone at Facebook heard her interview and reached out to her and she ended up interviewing and now she's there. So I don't know if she got the job because of the interview, but certainly I think it helped for them to put uh, Maya, to put her on their radar, which is really what I like about this show is that I want to have voices that are not just the same voices that you hear, you know, out there all the time. I want to have new people that are doing amazing and wonderful things so other people can know that they're doing amazing and wonderful things and it puts them on someone else's radar so hopefully that sets them up for whatever their next kind of big thing is so uh, she really liked those episodes uh, which is great I think that's good you know like I said I don't have a favorite episode but there's ones that I really like um, and I like them for different reasons so I want to thank you know both Adrian and Rachel for writing in and uh, letting me know about their favorite episodes. Ron Bronson Law's consulting after that I guess read a year and then I went Work for a city of Bloomington, Indiana, where I live, and and and, uh, and that was really just actually coming in the middle of a website redesign. So I did that in the city, and that was great. No, now I'm at 18F. Been at 18F for two months. Sella Lewis. Graphic design is an isolating job. I think anyone from any background will will argue that. But when you are, in this case, a black person, it can feel even more isolating. You don't know where <laughs> everyone else is, and what I always get so much joy out of is someone I know is now going to be a part of a vision path, like, like Jermaine Bell here in Baltimore or Raphael Sergio Smith at, at IDEO. Like, oh yeah, I remember, I know you're going to be, a, if you feel like you're part of this sort of larger family. And then when you bring someone in like Gail Anderson, then I'm like, oh, oh my God, like next to Sylvia Harris, like it's Gail Anderson in my head. Like she's the, uh, you know, the black woman I look to and I think of like really talented designers and to hear her story as well, like, feel like you're part of this canon of really, you know, a great black talent, great black creative talent. It just is so enriching and can be a, a great reminder to keep going even when you feel like you're in these conversations in these meetings and people are telling you that you're too expensive. Or you're in these meetings and conversations and people are trying to convince you that relocating to New York is too expensive. Or, you know, it, it can be it can be so like discouraging to have people who you know cast doubt on your ability to actually excel but then I listened to revision path for a little while and I, and I, and I think back of like I'm not alone I'm not alone in this pursuit and it, that, feel, that feels good Michelle Washington it's a very important question because you offer a lot of value and I feel that um, you are using digital technology um, for digital storytelling, which is another way to capture um, the historical legacy of a whole cadre of um, Blacks that work in design and that work in tech and other related fields. I also feel that um, often, it's not often that we can go to any space 
that is physical or even not physical and actually be able to learn who are the black designers, people working in tech and related fields, and find, you know, just to find out who they are and what they're doing. I think it does more than allow for people to network. I think mean, I, I, feel, I feel it allows uh, a different way for people to network, and I look at it as a way that you have created this space for people to build a community. And I find building a community, is, for me at least, is a lot more important than just um, networking. And that um, there's a lot of lessons to be learned and a lot of knowledge to be shared amongst ourselves. And this is one way for us to share and gain new knowledge. To end this anniversary episode of Revision Path, I want to talk about the future of Revision Path, where I see things going, um, as well as some things which are going to be coming up in the near future. Now, I don't know if I've ever really made the case for being a patron of Revision Path on the show. Uh, and of course, it's important, like I say before, because you're helping to support our mission and our vision, and it helps get stories about black designers out there in their own words all of that is true all of that is very much true um but also as patrons you get to have direct behind the scenes access to revision path as it is happening week by week really every two weeks we have a special podcast that is just for patrons it's called revision path patrons only and in that podcast you get uh it's a bi-weekly podcast so every two weeks you get a new episode at the first of the month at the 15th and I talk about here's what's new with Revision Path, here's what's changing, here's what's coming up. So there is like a two-week change log uh, of things that are happening with Revision Path. So you can really go back and see how far we've grown, what your patronage is going towards, how we're growing. Um, that is really kind of a big benefit. You're able to ask me questions about things. You're able to talk to me directly um, in a private channel there. Uh, it's really great. So for the people there that are patrons, um, hopefully they feel like they are kind of getting a behind-the-scenes seat at the table when things are happening. I solicit their opinions on things. Uh, so, yeah, I really think you should become a patron. Five, I only have one pledge level. It's $5. You can pledge less than that, but you won't get any updates. You can pledge more than that, you will get updates. $5 is kind of uh, the threshold there. So I know we've got some patrons on there that are paying less than $5 that are not getting updates. That's why they're not getting updates. It's $5 or more. And we made the executive decision to do that mainly because a lot of our lower tier pledges, which if you remember, we had a $1, we had a $1 tier, $3, $5, $10, $20. The problem was that was happening is that we weren't, we were getting people more right in the middle, like right at the $5 level. Not that many at the 10 and 20, not that many at the 3 and 1. And for the ones at the 3 and 1, the issue that kept happening is we were getting declined cards. We would have to keep contacting them to update their payment methods. Um, $5 kind of just seemed to be the natural sweet spot that a majority of our um, you know, patrons kind of landed in. And so I decided to strip away the other levels, just make it $5. You can pledge more. That's great. You can pledge less. That's great too, but you're only going to get that access at $5 and up. So patrons, like I said, they get that 
special patrons podcast. They get to read um, entries that go up on the blog before anyone else. They get news about things before it happens, or at least before I announce it. So if you want to be a patron, patreon.com forward slash revision path. Check that out. Uh, there's a lot of site updates that have been happening. I have been continually kind of behind the scenes, making tweaks and changes to things. We've updated our job board tremendously. Uh, if you're looking for a job, definitely check out our job board. We have so many companies that actually are posting to our job board. You know, we've got Buffer, we've got Bandcamp, we've got Olark, we've got Mapbox, we've got 18F, we've got MailChimp, we've got Facebook. Many other companies are actually using our job board on a regular basis because they're looking for diverse design talent. So if that's something that you're interested in, check out our job board. We've got three tiers. If you're posting a freelance job, it's free uh, for temporary or internships. It's 49 bucks for 30 days for full time and part time jobs. It's ninety nine dollars uh, for 30 days. And they also will get mentioned on the podcast as well. We made a lot of updates to the job board just to make that more streamlined. Uh, we made updates to our scheduling page for new guests that are coming on the show. We've made that a lot easier for people. Um, eventually, we're going to do a website redesign. Lord knows when that's going to happen. Um, hopefully, I don't know, maybe later on this year, maybe next year. It's not on the timetable right now to redesign the website. Uh, it's working pretty well as it is. So if it ain't broke, we're not trying to fix it. Uh, speaking of the website, we are bringing back the blog. So, you know, the blog is something that I know we haven't really talked about much on the show. Uh, the podcast is fine. Like the next seven episodes are already recorded in the can, scheduled, good to go. Podcast going to be fine. But I've always wanted to have something in between those podcast episodes for people to talk about and to share. And so that's why we've had our blog and in the past, we've had writers, they've written some really great work. Some of those subjects we will hopefully be revisiting this year. Uh, but the problem has been keeping writers on consistently. Uh, there's not a lot of, well, let me not say that. It's hard to find writers that will write for the Revision Path audience. We are a black design platform and people don't necessarily want to write for that. That's the honest truth. It's very hard to find writers that will write for this and not treat it in a stereotypical sort of way. Um, I'm not going to say that there's not a lot of black design voices out there. I certainly would love to find more black design voices. And you don't have to be a black design voice to write for Revision Path. But I think because we exclusively feature black design voices, that turns a lot of people away. That and people tend to think that we only talk about tech despite the fact that we are a design podcast, we're in the design category on iTunes. I know we're in tech and some others, but that's because they don't have an arts category. The awards that we've won for Revision Path have been about design, not about technology. We are not a tech podcast. We are a design podcast. Now, we have developers on the show from time to time. I think that's perfectly okay. But, you know, let us not be fooled. This is not a tech podcast. We are not detailing what's going on in the tech community we're talking about what's happening in the design community so i say all that to say the blog is meant to kind of help support that to lean more on the design part of what revision path is about so if you go to the blog now it's at revisionpath.com forward slash blog there is a new entry up there right now by cella lewis cella lewis has also been on the show before 
really thoughtful type of writer uh, so i hope you get a chance to read her stuff i'm really looking forward to seeing what else uh she cranks out in the months to come we'll hopefully be bringing on some more writers soon uh we will be bringing on also a new editor so i want to you know kind of add to the blog i'm even writing some little newsy stuff here and there you know because i want our blog to have the type of design writing that you're not going to find anywhere else it's going to be for a black audience or it's going to be about black designers it's going to be about the issues that are important to us uh certainly i think there is a dearth of that out there on the web in general as it relates to design and so i want revision path to be the place where people go to find that like when we did for example that bonus episode last week on black panther that was the kind of stuff that i want to do more of i would love to take that and maybe transcribe that and then post it well maybe we might do that later i don't know but i say all that to say i want to be able to do more of those types of things in the future where we get designers together and we really talk about design and the process and stuff like that because you don't hear from black design voices doing that on a regular basis and i want revision path to be the place that you go to find that uh, as far as events, there will be more events in the future. These events will be with some of our sponsors, and that's about all I can say. <laughs> uh, they may either be in New York or Atlanta, one of the two. Uh, and that's all I can say. I don't really have any other information to give besides that. I do know that there are some things that are still in the planning stages, so they can't really be talked about. But uh, let's say that the event that we had back in November really kind of set the, the stage for what could happen with Revision Path in the future. So just stay tuned, If especially if you're a patron, you'll hear about events before anybody else. So if you want to make sure that you are up to date on what's happening, especially as it relates to that, become a patron, patreon.com forward slash Revision Path. Speaking of events, you know, um, I'm working on getting Revision Path in schools for design education. And you might be wondering, what does that have to do with events? Because when I say I want to get revision path in schools for design education, what I mean is that I want to have more events at design schools or at HBCUs, things like that. Um, I've stopped speaking at conferences. Um, I made that declaration last year on another podcast that I've stopped speaking at conferences. Um, it's a long story. If you want to listen to it, um, let me know. I'll let you know what that podcast is. But I want to speak at design schools. I want to speak to students. I want to speak to design groups and departments about Revision Path and about the work I'm doing because that is where the future of design is happening. Future of design ain't happening at your multi-day thousand dollar conference somewhere with your fancy lanyards and your tote bags full of swag. The, the future of design is not happening there. It's normally the same seven or eight dozen people that are just on a rotating speaker circuit recycling the same talks the innovation is not there i hate to tell you sorry if you've been looking for that there you ain't gonna find it i've spoken out enough of them to tell you it's not that's not where it's really going down it's these events at schools where you're talking to designers and to educators that is where the future of design is happening and so that's where i want to be so if you're listening if you are a student if you are a teacher and you want Revision Path to be at your school, reach out to me, revisionpath at gmail.com or mail at revisionpath.com. Holla at your boy. Let me know what you want to do and we can work something out. You know, that's where I really feel like 
uh, revision path needs to be because as I talk to students and I talk to educators, it's still super clear that black designers are not part of the design education curriculum, probably in any school in the U.S., at least not in some impactful way. Maybe y'all will dredge us up during Black History Month. But other than that, you know, students aren't really learning. Teachers aren't really teaching. And there has to be a way to kind of bridge that gap, especially through technology. And because we are a podcast that is putting out new content every week, there are hundreds of episodes to go and mine through for, you know, inspiration, for curriculum ideas, etc. That's a, a wealth of information right there. So, uh, yeah, I want to be in that place and be able to speak to students, speak to design you know, departments and stuff about this work, because that's where I feel like the future needs to happen. You know, I don't want it to be 20 years in the future and we're still having this conversation or we're still having this problem where black designers are not part of the conversation. You know, I mean, I get so many emails and letters from people who are the only one in their design program. And they know that when they listen to Revision Path, they feel like they're not alone. That's great. But like, that's not really making a whole lot of change. So we need to go to these places and like be in their in their faces, essentially, to let them know that we're here. We're not just some posthumous reminder during the shortest month of the year. You know, we are here. We're black designers and we're doing great things and we deserve to have our work talked about and discussed in the same way as our peers. There might be a book happening. There might be some kind of a book-like situation happening down the line. I've been talking with people at publishing houses. I've been talking with editors. I've been talking to people about doing a possible collaboration book of sorts. Nothing really to mention outside of that, just to let you know that that is something that, you know, could be happening. I thought about doing a book of the interviews that have been on the show. Uh, that would probably take a while. Several of you have also written to me with that same idea. Uh, I would need to, one, sort of discover who I want to have in the book. Um, I would love to have everyone, but I can't probably have everyone just because, you know, people have passed on. Some people aren't doing design anymore. I would have to reach out to people to see who would be okay with being in the book because I didn't have people like sign a release form or anything when they, you know, came on the show. Doing a book is kind of a totally different sort of thing, um, which... I guess whomever I would do the book with would have to sort of work that out or help me work it out. But a book kind of thing is coming in the future. Uh, I've sort of put the idea off for a while about doing a book. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do a book. I don't need to do a book. I don't want to do a book. But I've been to some design events, I'd say, within the past few months now. And generally, books are being sold there. Uh, or it's like at a place where there are design books and things located. And I'm noticing there's nothing from black designers at all. Like we might be mentioned in a book, but it's like hidden away in a chapter or something. There's certainly not books out there by black designers. And that's not to say that black designers are not writing books. That's not to say that there aren't black design voices. There are. What I am saying is they're not, I think, enough of them. And certainly not at a visible enough level where, you know, the regular design community knows about it. One of the good things of having a book is that I could sort of help with that earlier goal that I was talking about with getting revision path in schools. Having a book would kind of be a much easier way to make that happen. 
in terms of being able to point to people and say, this is a black designer and this is the work that they're doing, like that sort of stuff. So book might happen in the future. Uh, more news on that. Of course, if you are following as a patron, you will get, you know, up to date updates on that sort of stuff when it does happen. But right now I'm just saying it's there are some wheels in motion. You know, things are turning, but nothing quite just yet. And lastly, this is the really big news. I am finally getting a chance to interview a designer who is synonymous with black design. Uh, when people search for black designers on Google, when they say a black designer, when they think of black designers, this person's name always comes to the forefront. Uh, it's usually the first name people say or think of. So I am finally going to get a chance after many years of trying to get an interview with Eddie Opara. That interview will air on Revision Path on April the 2nd. If you're a patron, you'll get a chance to listen to it earlier. But for the rest of you, April 2nd is when that interview is going down. You'll get a chance to listen to it. I'm so excited. I'm so, so, so excited. Um, I know you're listening to this probably on the 26th, on the Monday that this is coming out. Uh, but we are talking like soon after that. So there's not really a whole lot of time for people to ask any questions. Uh, but I've got so many things that I want to ask him and, uh, yeah, I'm just really excited about that. So that's going to hit your inboxes, your podcast players and such on April the 2nd. Believe in your own magic. I think that was a big learning lesson for me in uh, 2017 is just to believe in your own magic believe in in your tribe whoever your tribe is don't think you have to necessarily network uh vertically all the time because to be honest a lot of people who are in the spaces that you're trying to get in are not necessarily outdated but they probably keep a team around them to keep them you know relevant they aren't actually like in the sauce <laughs> anymore so i think i think learning to network within your peers is is the best way to grow and build a tribe because your peers are going to be the next whoever you like basically like you are the next whoever and that's something that i would say most opportunities well I would, probably a good 90 percent have come from peers over the last, I would say, years. You know, it hasn't been some huge big person sweeping down and grasping me and saying like, okay, we're gonna like give you these opportunities or, you know, give you this work. It's literally all been my own peers who have just, you know, they may work for someone and say like, oh, I mentioned you for this or maybe interning or like, just tag me in the photo. So believe in your own magic and believe in the people who are around you first. We live in, in, in dangerous times, and not just the, the obvious political moment, but things like climate change, things like technology having been built that has changed the world, but that tech has been built without lots of sort of deeper ethical considerations. But I, I would really want to, want to suggest to, to everyone, but very specifically designers, and even more specifically black designers, Consider how we can use our craft to try to make little dents in that wall. How can we use our craft to, in, in your own way, not, not, you know, 
becoming the ACLU, not, not becoming some huge political organization. How can you in your daily life and in your craft help effect change and help sort of hold the line between normality and all of the chaos that's all around us? And I, I would just encourage people to, to, to think through what, what little actions they can do based on what their craft is to try to help the rest of society. Words of wisdom are, you know, be prepared to feel stupid, but then also be prepared to learn a lot. Um, and and whenever it is that you are like looking for that, especially your first job, I think, you know, try to find an environment where you're being supported in your learning so that you're not, it, it, it just, you're not just constantly overwhelmed every day because that's not going to really be sustainable for you. I know that a lot of times it sounds like a luxury whenever people say, you know, hey, do what you love. But I really believe that if you do what you love and you really go after the things that strengthen that, um, that you can make money the byproduct of the success and the love and the passion that you put into your work. Staying current in your profession. And I, and I think that's... Um, that's really, really important, particularly today, because things things are happening so fast. And this is um, it's an exciting time to be in any area of creativity, whether it's design, whether it's working in tech or other related creative areas. I think you can never stop learning. I think there's just a lot of knowledge out here and you know you've got to keep boning up on your skills and sometimes you have to look at translating those skills into other areas um, that might interest you and also I think it's good to talk to people that work outside of the areas that you work in when you go to uh, meetings conferences you know just even in within your community, identify other people that you might share some interest. It could be a hobby-related interest because you never know how that person might put you in contact or lead you down another path that you may have never thought of exploring. Don't allow where you're at today to dictate where you're going to be six months from now, or a year from now, or two years from now, whatever. Sometimes, speak, sometimes having an idea and working towards that incrementally, or, or, or chopping at that idea, it can can have an impact, even if it doesn't seem like it immediately. And so, I guess that's what I'd say. And also, I'd say thanks for still doing this. I know it's a labor of love. I've done podcasts. We said it back then. I say it to you now. It's a labor of love, and and the fact that you still do it with consistency and with quality. It means a lot in, in the community as well. We, we really owe you a debt of gratitude for being able to elevate our stories because, again, it's thankless, and, and, but it has a lot of value. What I would share for designers is to understand that this does not have to be a young person's game. Um, it can often feel like your best years are sort of when you're right out of college or you're right out of high school, and then you sort of like, flame out into some oblivion at some point in like your 40s or 50s. Don't tell yourself that. Play the long game. Like, be, if you're going to hustle, hustle, but play the long game. Like, find ways to reform your career into something interesting, but still aligned for design. Because what starts to disappoint me as I get older in my career is that people that I knew when I was younger 
like really talented black designers, I don't see as often. They sort of like fall off the radar and it can be discouraging. And I, I eventually want to, you know, grow old and have wrinkles and, and, and be at some of these award galas with gray hair and look across the room and see like you, you know, and, and see, you know, Diane Holton here, see so many of the pe- amazing people that I know in this network of great black talent, but you have to have that vision for yourself now and just play the long game and not give up on yourself. So that's, that's my words of wisdom. I, I never set out to exceed in a career. Like I, I really literally never said to myself, I want my career to define my life. Um, that wasn't the way I was raised. It wasn't what my value system was, being a good person and someone that has value, my religious principles. Those are the things that matter to me. And I think over the last several years, I can look back on my life and say, one thing I wish I would have done a little bit differently is I wish I would have left more room to have more uh, personal relationships and been closer to my friends and and fostered better interpersonal relationships. Because I find myself now kind of in a very comfortable place in my career, but in my personal life, we're not really haven't grown that much, you know, in the last decade. Because not that I intended to be. But as a matter of consequence, I took advantage of those opportunities. And when you buy out time in one area, you can sacrifice time in other areas. I wish that I would have invested more in those relationships because I wouldn't be at this point in my life um, um, wondering kind of where did the time go in that regard. So that's to say to listeners who are here, who are listening to these stories of success, which you do such a good job of cultivating, that the, the goal, the objective is to be a complete human being and to have all the areas of your life balanced. Um, as well as you can and that a job is nothing but a means to an end and hopefully that is to take care of yourself those people you love and to be a better person put yourself out there ask questions don't be afraid to give up strive for your dreams remain passionate thoughts of love And that's it for this week. Big thanks to you for listening. This show would be nothing without each and every one of our listeners over the past five years. Thank you so much for downloading, for reviewing, for sharing, for commenting, for critiquing, and really just being an active part of our growth. We really would not have made it to this five-year milestone without you. So thank you. Special thanks go out to Leon Scott, Raquel Rodriguez, Douglas Davis, Sella Lewis, Husani Oakley, Andrea Pippins, Nikita M. Pope, Ron Bronson, Diane Holton, Tori Hargrove, Michelle Washington, and Lacey Jordan, all for lending their voices to this episode. And of course, thanks go out to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, MailChimp, and SiteGround. Usually I would put an ad block in right here where I would talk about it. We're going to skip it this time. I think they'll be okay with that. (laughs) This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. We haven't got a rating in a long time, so it only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show out by bumping us up in the rankings there for Design Podcast. Not just here in the U.S., but internationally as well. Like I tweeted out a few days ago that we were the number three design podcast in Nigeria. What? Shout out to all our Nigerian listeners. I'll even read your review right here on the show. 
Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, if you've listened to this episode, if you've seen the growth that we've had over the years, you should become our patron over at Patreon. You know, we really would not have been able to get to this point without the support, not only of our sponsors, but from the community as well. And we need your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are really being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, that's it, five bucks, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.